Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word received. Uh, Father, your word heard that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Father, breathe new life in us today as we open your word and receive from you. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. All right, so this week we are in Parsha Shemini. Uh, Parsha Shemini is Leviticus 9.1. Through 1147. Uh, and this is a really uh, uh, power packed Parsha. It ends with uh, Leviticus 11, which is a discussion of kashrut or the kosher laws, uh, the foods that we can and or can't eat, uh, including for those that are really excited about it, locusts. I'm not really into it, but okay. Um, but if all else fails, we can eat locusts and grasshoppers. So Jiminy the Cricket's in trouble. Um, with but, uh, but we begin this Parsha out actually continuing what we were reading in the previous Parsha, which is the dedication, the anointing, and the inauguration of the tabernacle, of the Mishkan, the tent of meeting, uh, where the presence of the Lord, the divine glory, the Shekhinah, would reside, would rest in the midst of Israel, uh, his people. And so we actually pick up uh, where we left off in the previous Parsha in uh, Leviticus 9, verse 1, it begins, Now it happened on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron his sons and the elders of Israel. Then he said to Aaron, Take a calf from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before Adonai. You were to speak to B'nai Israel, saying, Take a male goat for a sin offering along with a calf and a lamb, both yearlings without blemish for a burnt offering, plus a bull and a ram for fellowship offerings to sacrifice before Adonai, along with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today Adonai appears to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tent of meeting, uh, and the entire congregation drew near and stood before Adonai. Moses said, this is what Adonai commanded that you shall do, so that, that the glory of Adonai may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and bring your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then present the offering for the people and make atonement for them as Adonai has commanded. Uh, so as we're looking at this, we recognize a couple of things. First and foremost, uh, in order for the priest to make atonement for the nation of Israel, he must first make atonement for himself, right? So we immediately recognize that we're beginning out with fallen man making atonement for fallen man, which is an extremely illogical reality, and hence the reason why from the foundations of creation itself, before God ever breathed the breath of life into humanity, the plan for redemption was always Messiah, was always God providing atonement and salvation, uh, that the, the reality of the high priest was that the high priest was merely a foreshadowing of what would be done through the person of Yeshua, but even more so the high priest and the service that he performed in the tabernacle was a replica, as we read in Hebrews, a replica of what is being done in the blood of Messiah in the heavenly tabernacle itself, in the tabernacle of the temple that Moses saw in heaven and that he modeled the tabernacle on earth after. And so we see here the beginning of this is that the high priest must make atonement for himself and then following that make atonement for the people and it's interesting that uh, in verse 8 it says so Aaron drew near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering which was for himself 
It's interesting that the sin offering that Aaron had to make for himself was a calf. Because tradition tells us that the reason that it was a calf for the sin offering for Aaron was because of what he allowed to happen and what he took part in with the golden calf in Mount Sinai. Uh, and so this was an atonement for his issues there. As a matter of fact, tradition also says that one of the, and there's a number of different traditional reasons behind this, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with any or all of them, uh, but, it, but it's interesting to see what the, the sages of Judaism have said over the years about these issues. But uh, Nadab and Avihu, which are uh, Aharon or Aaron's sons that die, his first, uh, first two sons who died in this Parsha when they rushed into the presence of God, uh, the, the, the sages uh, say that one of the reasons that was possible for why they died was because of Aaron's sins with the golden calf, that God took retribution for Aaron's sins of upon his sons, but didn't wipe out the entire lineage of Aaron. He left two more to be able to continue the bloodline. Uh, another tradition is that uh, they, um, the, because right afterwards it says that Aaron is not to enter into the, the tabernacle of the temple service in the tabernacle of the temple uh, while drinking wine or strong drink. And so another theory is, is that Nadab and Abihu had gotten a little plastered before they went in, and, uh, and that, that was why they were, they were, they were slaughtered. And uh, I'll actually go in a few minutes into what my theory is behind it. Uh, um, but the reality is, is we recognize that the actual sacrifice that, that Aaron had to do to make atonement for himself before he was eligible to make atonement for the nation of Israel was to uh, make up for what happened with the golden calf, which he built. Uh, the scripture says that he took the gold and he put it into the fire and he pulled it out and he formed it into the calf. Uh, even though when Moses came down, he was like, I don't know, stuff went in the fire and poof, there's a calf. I don't really know how this happened. But, uh, but the reality is the scripture tells us that Aaron was single-handedly responsible for the golden calf. And so the, the atonement sacrifice, the sacrifice necessary for, uh, for the atonement from that action was a calf itself. And then he goes in and, and sacrifices the goat and so on. But as we look at all this, there's some really interesting, the lamb, there's some really interesting uh, correlations here. And so we continue on in this Parsha uh, with verse 22. It says, then Aaron, this is after Aaron has already performed the sacrifice for himself, the atonement sacrifice for himself. Uh, it's after he's already performed it for the, the nation of Israel. He's placed the blood of both sacrifices upon the horns of the altar, uh, and, uh, and what needed to be burned up had been completely burned up. So verse 22 says, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And by the way, this is, is reminiscent and is discussing the, the method that he blessed Israel was what we see in number six with the Birchah uh, the priestly blessing, the Aaronic benediction. It says, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then he stepped down from presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offerings. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came back out and blessed the people, the glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai and devoured the burnt offering, the fat offering on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Again, as we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Hebrew here for fire came out from the presence of Adonai literally says fire from the face of Adonai fire from the face of God uh, and uh, it's really important that we recognize that the the fire that resided in the you know the, the the pillar of fire and of cloud that resided on the mercy seat and the holy of holies was the divine presence the Shekhinah the glory of God which was revealed before the nation of Israel in a tangible way 
And so Israel saw this, and what they were seeing was fire that came forth from the presence of the Lord. In other words, the actual face of the Lord, if you would, and a means that they could see right before them. It comes down, it consumes the offering on the altar. Uh, and then the next thing we read about, Akra, is this awkward narrative of Nadab and Abihu, who just got excited and rushed in with their incense pan. They threw incense on the fire, and they rushed in to the tabernacle uh, where the presence of God at this point had entirely uh, uh, consumed the tabernacle not consumed in the sense of destroyed it, but it was the entire tabernacle was filled with, uh, with his presence, if you would, and they rushed in uh, towards the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was at a point that they were not ordered or commanded or even requested by God to do so. Verse 1 says, Now Aaron's sons, they'd have an avi who each took his own censer, put it fire in it, laid incense over it, and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai. The Hebrew for unauthorized fire is ace. Aish Zarah, which literally means strange fire. It's related to uh, the, the term in Hebrew for idolatrous worship, which is Avodah Zarah, strange service or strange worship. Uh, and so we have the Aish Milpane Adonai, the fire, the face of Adonai that reveals itself to the nation of Israel and consumes the offering on the altar. And now we have the Aish Zarah, the, the, the strange or the foreign fire that has now entered into the, uh, the, the presence of the Lord. And, and it says immediately after this that, uh, fire came out from the presence of Adonai and consumed them so they died before Adonai. Uh, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Adonai spoke of saying, to those who are near me I will show myself, un I will show myself holy upon the faces of all the people I will be glorified. Then Aaron kept silent. Now, I actually look at this a little different. I don't think that necessarily, and I wasn't there, so I can't say definitively that this is how it happened, but I don't think that necessarily Nadab and Abi who were intending to do anything wrong. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, tradition says that they were considered uh, righteous and holy in the same regard as the 70 elders, elders of Israel, that they were the native and Abi who were considered so righteous and zealous and pious that they were held to this high regard like Moses and Aaron in the nation of Israel. They were in line to serve as high priests, as priests, as a son of Aaron. Uh, I don't think that their heart was necessarily in the wrong place, but their zeal got ahead of what God was intending to do. God was wanting to reveal himself to the nation, and instead Nadab and Abi, who wanted to to run, rush into the presence of the Lord on their own, separate from what God was trying to do for the entire nation. They wanted more of God's presence, but they wanted it out of order. And we serve a God of order. We serve a God that has a specific scenario for everything. As a matter of fact, we look in the Haftorah Parsha with uh, David bringing the ark back to, trying to bring it to Jerusalem, and we see uh, it's carried on the oxen, uh, the cart pulled by the oxen, and Uzzah reaches up to steady it when the ox loses their step a little bit, and he reaches up to steady it, and uh, the, 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 the presence of the Lord just literally kills him right there on the spot. It says, the anger of the Lord uh, burned against him and because of his irreverence uh, of the presence of the Lord because of the way he touched it. And a lot of times we might look at that and go, well, you know, Nadav and Abihu, they just wanted to be in the presence of God. And Uzzah just wanted to protect what God was, what the ark, which is where the presence of God resided. And, and we can look at it and have some sympathy in their actions. But the reality is, is Nadav and Abihu and Uzzah, their actions were relatively similar in the fact that they were doing the right thing in all the wrong ways. See, the reality is, is Uzzah wasn't killed because uh, he necessarily because he touched the ark, although he wasn't supposed to touch it. But the reality is, is he lost his life because everything that they were doing was wrong. First off the ark, we were commanded that it was to be carried by the poles that were inserted in it. And it was to be carried by Levites. 
It wasn't to be put on an, uh, a cart drug along by oxen. And if it was carried by the Levites in such a fashion, and there would be numerous Levites doing carrying it because it's heavy, then it wouldn't have had a chance for it to fall like it was potentially going to do. So right out the gate, they were carrying it wrong. Second off, they were doing it in the wrong manner. It was supposed to have the priesthood involved, and the Levites were supposed to be leading, and everything was supposed to be going in a certain order. Everything that was going on was wrong. And keep in mind, David was who orchestrated it, and the Word of God says David was a man after God's own heart. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me because David jacked that scenario up pretty seriously, yet God still loved him and said he was a man after his own heart. And I know that I've kind of jacked a lot of stuff up in my life over and over again, uh, and likely in a lot of other people's lives as well, and yet God still loves me. And I can have complete and perfect faith in God's love in my life and for me because I can see the way it plays out in Moses' life and Aaron's life and David's life and a number of others and Elijah who, uh, seeing all these miracles of God as the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit operates through him, seeing all of these miracles of God, yet when his life is in danger and he's running, he cries out, why am I the only one left? And God says, you're not the only one. Why do you think so highly of yourself? Who do you think you are? I've got a whole bunch of other people that never bowed down to the, the Baalim. Uh, why do you think you're so special? And the reality is, is that God loves us. Peter, Peter denied Messiah three times, yet God still forgave him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And restored him and, and built something phenomenal upon this man's ministry and calling that still affects us today in the body of Messiah. And so we recognize that, uh, that there are times where uh, we see in Scripture that men went outside of the will of God. They went outside of the order of God, yet God still uh, used them in mighty and powerful ways. In the case of Nadab and Abihu and Uzzah, we actually see that they went outside of the will of God and there was consequence that went along with it. But you and I today can look at that and go, you know, I learned a lesson from this, one that I didn't have to make the mistake to learn. As a, a Messianic Jewish rabbi, I've worked under uh, six different rabbis in uh, Florida and Alabama and New York and Georgia. And, uh, and, and one of the advantages that I had in starting our congregation here was that I learned a lot of what not to do because I watched mistakes that others had made and the lessons they learned from it and went, you know, I don't want to make those mistakes. I, I, I want to learn from there. I don't mind making my own mistakes but I want to learn the lesson they've already learned without going through the heartache and the toils that they did for those mistakes. And these are the things we can learn from Nadab and Abihu and Uzzai. There's a right way to approach the presence of God. There's a right way to worship him and to approach him. Uh, and it has to be done in order and in reverence. And we can't bring strange fire and strange offering. And by the way, I think it's really important for us to understand that, that Hebrew, the Esh Zarah, the strange fire. Because in the body of Messiah today, there's a whole lot of really strange theologies that are rolling around. There's a whole lot of really strange ideologies that are legitimately uh, damaging the image of the body of Messiah, that are legitimately damaging the message of the body of Messiah, that are damaging the effect of the gospel. Not that the gospel can't overcome it, but damaging the effect of the gospel because that's what we've been called to bring to the world around us is the good news of Messiah Yeshua. And so it's important that as, as believers ourselves that when we rush into the presence of God, that we're not rushing into it out of order. They were following what he's leading, but they were not bringing strange fire and strange worship in before him, that were not blending things of this world into what the Lord has for his people. But as we look at all of this and we see Aaron, to get back on track, we see Aaron and the fact that in order for Aaron to make atonement for the nation of Israel, he had to first make atonement for himself. We see that his own sons uh, steps outside of the will of God, much like Aaron did uh, with the golden calf. They stepped outside of the will of God. And there's this reminder that even in some of the greatest people, 
in the history of the people of God, some of the greatest people in God's plan for redemption, there was always a reality of failure. There was always a reality of fallen nature, as, as Paul talks about in Romans, falling a little short of the glory of God. Um, and it's important that we recognize that uh, the, the, the lessons here need to be learned, that you and I are going to walk uh, lives in the presence of the Lord and the glory of God, and we're still going to mess things up left and right. But the Lord wants to restore us and renew us. And in order for Aaron to bring restoration and repentance, atonement and forgiveness for the nation of Israel, he had to begin with himself. And you've got to understand, as we prepare for Shavuot, we're in the midst of the counting of the Omer right now. We're preparing for Shavuot, what uh, many know as Pentecost, when the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh fell, when the Asarad Hadibrot, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments were spoken at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. As we're preparing for this event, which is a biblically, biblically prophetic, powerfully anointed and important feast uh, of Adonai that we are to commemorate year in and year out. This year in particular, there are a lot of phenomenal things happening leading up to it. And it's important for us to recognize that the reality of Shavuot and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh was to ignite within us the same fire that burned on the altar in the, holy of, in the, the, the tabernacle and the temple, the same fire that resided upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. It is the fire of the presence, Lord. It is the fire of the face of the Lord that burns within us, that resides within our hearts and our lives and that in order for us to carry that fire to those around us to the nations to jew and gentile to our family to our friends to our co-workers to our uh, fellow students to whoever it is we come into contact with on a daily basis in order for us to bring that presence of god into their lives and a means that which we are calling them to restoration and renewal to salvation to repentance we first have to humble ourselves in the sight of the lord and be repentive ourselves in order for us to, you know, a lot of times, uh, and, and we see this, you know, people pick on televangelists a lot, but the reality is, is we can, they're pervasive in, in society. We can watch televangelists and we can see some of these guys have had phenomenal ministries, yet the entire ministry is entirely destroyed because of a single action, because of a single sin, and often it's a sexual sin of one way or another. Uh, it's kind of funny how we men work, right? Uh, but it's, a, it's often a sexual sin, but this simple sin can destroy everything that God has worked so diligently to, to do. And, and, and we can debate whether or not some of these guys, God actually did anything in their lives or not, but people's lives were blessed. And so in many regards, there was definitely a work of God flowing through a lot of these, these guys. And, and a lot of them have fallen in mighty and, and dangerous ways and caused a, a damage to the message of Messiah that they were trying to share and bring. And the reality reality is, is your and my, yours and my life isn't so much different. You know, we talk a great talk and we can, we can pretend we're walking the walk and we can do all the things right and, and try our hardest to, to live on the outside like the Pharisees, right? Live on the outside like we're honoring God, but on the inside we're really just despicable, dark, and ugly just like everyone else. We're still falling. We're still wallowing in our own mistakes and our own sins. We're still letting the guilt of the past have control over our lives. We're still constantly falling prey to the same temptations over and over and over again while the Lord is sitting there saying, I just want to bring you out of this. I want to restore you and renew you so that your life can speak into others and build up disciples and others' lives. Uh, and the reality is, is in order for us to share that gospel, the good news, the reality of the true atonement of Messiah Yeshua with those around us, we have to actually repent daily not once but daily over and over and over again we have to walk in a continual life of restoration to the father because the world around us sees the garbage in our lives they can see through us today and you've heard me talk about the the post-truth era before the world around us the, doesn't necessarily believe in an absolute and finite truth we may but the world around us doesn't 
And what's true to, to Sean may not be true to, to Chris. And what's true to Arixi may not be true to, uh, to, to, to Tammy. And the reality is, is that the world around us doesn't quite grasp this. And we know without a doubt that the word of God is true, that the salvation Messiah Yeshua is true. And there's no doubt in our hearts and our lives, but the world looks at us. And they hear the words coming out of our mouth, but they see straight through us like a glass house and they see that we're no better than they are. That we're dark and dirty and grimy and disgusting and while we want to pick on their sins, we want to overlook our own. And the body of Messiah today loves to pick on a few handheld sins as though they're the worst thing in the world, ignoring the fact that they're no different than the sins we walk in on a regular basis too. And that in order for us to call sin out in somebody else's life, we have to recognize that God's calling it in our lives first. That we've got to want to be restored to the Father. That we've got to want to walk in that. And so just like Aaron who had to make atonement for himself first before he can make atonement for Israel, before he can make atonement for the people of God, you and I have to walk in a life of repentance before we can call others to repentance. We have to walk faithfully united with Messiah before we can call others to be faithfully united with Messiah. But thankfully, thankfully we don't have to rely on a man like Aaron who has fallen like you and I in order to find the atonement necessary to walk in repentance day in and day out. In Hebrews chapter uh, 8, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now here's the main point being said. We do have such a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, who has taken his seat at the right hand on the, of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is a priestly attendant in the holies and the true tent, which Adonai set up, not man. For every Kohen Gadol, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would never be a Kohen at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the Torah. Why would he never be a, a, a Kohen at all? Because he wasn't of the Levitical order of the Aaronic family lineage. He was of the, uh, the lineage of Yehudah of Judah. He was of the lineage of David, the, king, the kingly tribe of Israel. They offer service and a replica and a foreshadowing of the heavenlies. Moses was told, build the tabernacle exactly as you saw me show you in heaven, exactly as the tabernacle you saw in heaven. They offer a service, a service and a replica and a foreshadower of the heavenlies, one that is just as Moses was instructed by God when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, see that you make everything according to the design that was shown to you on the mountain. But now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry insofar as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Uh, and then we continue on to, uh, to chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, it says, now with these things prepared this way, the Kohanim, the priests, do continually enter into the outer tent while completing the services, but into the inner once a year, the Kohen Gadol alone, and not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. But this, the Ruach HaKodesh, makes clear that the way into the holies has not yet been revealed while the first tent is still standing. It is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, gifts and sacrifices are being offered that cannot make the worshiper perfect with respect to conscience. These relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of set setting things straight. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, as high priest of the good things that have now come passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with the hands that it, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. He entered into the holies once for all not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is a powerful reality. We don't have to worry about an earthly priest who's a fallen man who's as guilty of sin as we are to make atonement for us. Instead, we have God himself robed in flesh who came down a little lower than the angels and walked among us and served among us and ministered among us and lived a spotless, perfect, righteous life, offered his life for our sins and ascended into heaven and poured his blood upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in heaven, which is what the mercy seat on the Holy of Holies on earth was merely a foreshadowing replica of so that we could have true atonement, true true redemption, true restoration, true repentance, so that we could actually walk right in the presence of the Lord, so that we could be drawn into his holy of holies. And see, because of the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua, this once for all, never needing to be poured out again, sacrifice that was offered, you and I have the ability to enter into the holy of holies, into the fire of the presence of God, the fire from the face of God, day in and day out. Every waking moment of our lives, we have nothing to be afraid of as we rush in to the fire of the Lord because we're not rushing with strange fire. Instead, we're rushing with the fire of God that resides in our hearts. And Hebrews tells us to boldly enter the throne room of God. Why? Because the blood of Messiah has been poured out that we can, in fact, do so. But in order to truly find salvation, redemption, and forgiveness, we must be willing to recognize that we have been fallen, that we have sinned, that we will, heaven forbid, continue to sin even once we have found salvation. And we have to be willing day in and day out to repent, to fall on our faces before the Lord, to recognize that his presence resides in us and that it's constantly drawing us in this perfecting process so that we can be better images of Messiah in the world around us. So that the world around us can see the true light of Messiah, the fire, the ash, uh, 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 the fire, the ash uh, haruach, the ash of the spirit that burns within us, the fire that flows from the face of God that burns within us. So that the world around us will be drawn to the good news of salvation, repentance, and restoration. This world doesn't care what we have to say, they care about how we live. They don't care about the words that we want to preach, they don't care about how well we can defend our faith because they can see whether or not our lives defend our faith. They can see whether or not our lives align with our words and our faith. And if we aren't walking in true repentance and true salvation and true restoration with the Lord, the world's going to see it and our words won't matter. They need to see the fire of the presence of God in our lives. And so I want to encourage you today, during this counseling of the Omer as we prepare for Shavuot, I want to encourage you today to daily lay your lives down before the Lord to recognize that his fire is upon us, that his presence is real, and that much like Israel, when the fire of God fell on the, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, Israel fell on their faces before the Lord. We must daily be on our faces before the Lord because the fire that burned before Israel burns in our hearts and our lives. And he is wanting to continually draw us through this perfecting process so that others' lives may be perfected. See, Aaron, when he offered the, the inaugural sacrifice, he offered a calf for his sins, particularly the sin of the golden calf. And he offered a lamb. And that lamb was a foreshadowing of Messiah. 
It was a remem- reminder, a remembrance of the words that were spoken to Abraham and to Isaac when Isaac was to be offered as a sacrifice, when Isaac, uh, the Achaia, the binding of Isaac occurred, and uh, Isaac cried out to, to Abraham on the way up the mountain, look, Pops, I see we got the wood and we got the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Well, in the thicket was a ram, not a lamb. And God did, in fact, provide himself a lamb, one that, that uh, Isaac was a foreshadowing of. And just like Isaac allowed himself to be tied down to the altar, and just like Isaac was willing to allow himself to be sacrificed at the hands of his father or by the hands of his father, Yeshua, our Messiah, willingly allowed himself to be put on the stake upon the cross, willingly allowed himself to be sacrificed for our sins. He is the Lamb of God that was slain that you and I could have eternal life in his midst. And I want to encourage you today to daily be in repentance because the gift that God has given us in the blood atonement of Messiah is far greater than anything we could have ever imagined. And it's far more important for the world around us today than it ever has been in the history of creation because this is the age that we will, I believe, truly see the return of Messiah. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be a decade from now, but I do believe Messiah is coming in the very near future. I do believe we are seeing the reality of end-time prophecy and scripture being fulfilled before our very eyes. And the reality is, is that the call to make disciples the great commission of Matthew 28 is more important today than ever before. Because the world around us is even more broken, even more lost than we've ever seen or experienced before. And the Lord wants to use the restoration he's done in our lives to bring others to the same truth of restoration. And may we be willing to serve the Lord humbly, offering our lives as a living sacrifice before him, that others may come to know the truth of the fire from the face of God burning in their lives because of the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua poured out for the redemption of their sins and the restoration of the eternal life that has been breathed into them. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. Father, I pray that uh, as we continue to prepare for Shavuot this year during the County of the Omer, that you will draw forth every little uh, imperfection in our life, Lord, everything that is in our lives that damages the image of God that flows through us, Lord, the image of God that we were created in. Father, I pray that you will draw forth to the surface every little sin that we think we've buried as deep as humanly possible so that, Lord, we can find true and perfect and complete repentance and forgiveness in you. Father, so that the world around us will see the work that you have done in our lives, will see the light and the presence of Yeshua in our lives, that they won't see just the mistakes that we've made in the past, they won't see the fallenness of our humanity today, but they will see the perfection of Messiah in our lives, the perfecting process that you are walking us through. Father, I pray that you use us as disciples to make disciples who want to make disciples for your truth, for your kingdom, for your name to be known before all. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.